What's poppin'? Welcome to your health class, the show about helping you lose fat, ditch your comfort zone, and then we're going to change our generation. I'm Trevor, health and nutrition coach, and today we are going into all that stuff going on with Spotify. We'll get into that. A great article about fasting or some research that came out last month, and then also an ingredient that is worse than sugar for your immune system. Like we got three good articles for you today. You're going to want to tune in and we got a special guest. So before we get into it, cue that intro. Thank you for tuning in. These ones are really fun to put together for you because this is all the stuff that, well, part of changing your generation is talking about like what's going on right now. And uh, these are some good ones. These are some interesting ones. But before we do that, I'd like to welcome Courtney to the show. What's up? She is both my girlfriend and she she knows a thing or two about health. Almost a certified nutrition coach. Pretty awesome. Let's but go. Let's do this. So, okay. First article. I I don't know if you guys haven't heard about this, but my goodness, I cannot believe this is a thing. Spotify takes down Neil Young's music after his Joe Rogan, Rogan, Rogan ultimatum. I, yeah. I, <laughs> I literally saw that and I, I just couldn't stop laughing. Like I I was like, yep, I want to talk about this one next time because, oh my goodness, this one was just right away like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Like, do you, do you really think you're going to get Joe Rogan taken down? Have you seen his numbers? And he literally said, it's me or him. And Spotify said, okay, <laughs> it's him. <laughs> like, in the article, it goes into all, all sorts of different stuff. But one of the things it touches on is Neil Young. Is about six million monthly listeners. That's not bad. Like I was like, okay, that's that's more than I thought he would. I didn't even know who he was, to be honest. <laughs> you know how much Joe Rogan has? How much? <laughs> he averages eleven million per episode. Oof. With uh four or five episodes a week. What is that? Like almost two hundred million downloads a month? So I mean <laughs> I, I think I know why Spotify made this decision. <laughs> yeah, it's it's all about money. It's it's not about anything else other than money. That's well. That was the interesting thing I did find about this article is I do like that the fact that they mentioned how Spotify has taken down a lot of anti-COVID things that have been going around. First off, if you listen to Joe Rogan, you realize he's not anti-vaccine or anti-anything like that. He literally has doctors on talking about the science and their experience working with patients. So if you find that controversial, first off, I'm going to be willing to bet you didn't listen to it. (laughs) (laughs) But the other part is, is this really isn't like any sort of narrative driven or anything like that. So. I understand why Spotify might take some extreme stuff down, but it is frustrating to see the fact that how much money is talking here. So, you know, if Joe Rogan didn't have the name he had, like that's, this wouldn't have been the same circumstance. Well, and the thing is, 
an opinion is not enough to get something removed. Mm-hmm. It's opinion. And in that article, it says that a group of 270 scientists and healthcare professionals signed an open letter accusing the podcast of promoting baseless conspiracy theories, asking them to asking Spotify to take down the podcast. But it's that's not that's their opinion. There's he has doctors on the podcast. There's it's not it's not a matter of I think your opinion is wrong. You know, that's not basis for removing something. Yeah, that's really what this comes down to is this is the problem with having these. I mean, this is going to get straight a little bit from uh, the normal health topics, but this is extremely important moving forward in the fact that this is less of uh, pro COVID or anti COVID or pro jab, anti jab, all that, but more of just a freedom of speech, like being able to express your opinion, what you're seeing, all these different things, and just getting a bunch of people to sign off, <laughs> sign a paper and. I also saw something about that is that most of these people are pretty much irrelevant. Like most of those people on that list weren't actual doctors, hadn't been working with any COVID patients. So why are we discrediting somebody that has actually saved lives? Not Joe Rogan, but the doctors on the show. (laughs) I mean, who knows? Maybe Joe Rogan saved some lives. He's pretty cool. But uh, why are we discrediting that opinion over like all these other opinions of people that quite frankly, don't matter. <laughs> when you start affecting free speech, that's you're writing a dangerous line. Mm-hmm. You can't shut down one form of free speech and let another go. You, you can't that you're, you were writing a very dangerous line there. And like taking this back to health, if you're actually trying to push health forward and actually get more research done, we need to make sure that it's not just about the money at the end of the day. Cause Right now, who has the money? All the big corporations. And what are they making? High sugar foods uh, full of vegetable oils. And man, I can't wait to talk about (laughs) vegetable oils in a minute. But that's what's being pushed right now. So if we're not putting free speech ahead of the dollars and being willing to think outside, thinking outside the box, like this is a very dangerous path. So I'm glad Spotify, Spotify worked at it worked it this time but it's just the fact that they've taken stuff down in the past just uh definitely worried me well and back to the part about the people that petitioned to remove it about them not having medical experience it or people that do have medical experience but aren't doctors i have medical experience i (laughs) that doesn't mean i know anything about anything i know what i was taught within the specialty that I'm in, but I, I'm not a doctor. I'm not qualified to tell you what's right and what's wrong. I, I don't think it's their place. Yeah. That's what we need to get back to (laughs) (laughs) Uh, people knowing their place, but also at the same time, like you have an opinion. It's okay to voice it no matter what side you're on, no matter your experience. But at the same time, that doesn't give you the right to just, cut off somebody else's voice because you don't like what they're saying. Exactly. You can't <laughs> cut something off because you don't like it. I hear yeah. things I, all the time I don't like. It doesn't mean I don't... You have the freedom to say what you want. I might disagree with you, <laughs> but you can say what you want. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think we beat this one to death. I just wanted to bring this up because, man, that is a... Uh, 
that made me laugh earlier this week. <laughs> but the second article, so this is a actually year long study that came out, uh, was published in December of last year. And this one's titled 12 months of time restricted eating and resistance training improves inflammatory markers and cardiometabolic risk factors. That's one hell of a title. <laughs> <laughs> These research papers are always titled something crazy. Yeah. So this is really breaking down a study. It was done on, done on a total of 20 men. 10 were doing a 16 to 8 fast. And the other group of men were just eating normal hours, no restrictions on their eating windows. And they tracked them for a whole year, which is actually insane. What was cool is they did publish the first eight weeks of the study. And they got some results from that. They published that back uh, way earlier last year. But then this study followed them for an entire year, which is just huge for any sort of diet intervention. And that's why <laughs> that's why it's like really good to bring up here, even though it's only over 20 people total. So it's a small sample size. And the other cool thing is these people actually have training experience. So a lot of diet interventions and stuff are done on... Um, people that are overweight, which I mean, is not a bad thing. <laughs> I mean, we need to be helping people that are overweight, but it, when you're already fit and you're just trying to like reach that next level, sometimes it's hard to find some research that applies directly to you. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit easier to find research that you can kind of extrapolate some things and make it relate to you and do your best. But at the end of the day, like this is a cool study that came out, especially if Again, 12 months. That's a long yeah. time to follow. So. Most of these studies are very, very short term. And while we can see their effects short term, most important is long term because, you know, not everything happens short term. Not yeah. short, not all short term changes are permanent. I want to give credit to Mass on this one. They are a fitness based research group that they put together articles each month. Uh, I love their subscription. So they actually brought my attention to this. And so these are some key points that they highlighted. So we can break down the study pretty quickly. But first one, again, you're long doing intermittent fasting in a population that actually trains so they're lifting. And what they had them doing was both eating high protein diets, uh, both training three times a week and making sure that they're having whey protein after and they actually provided that in the study, which is pretty cool. And then they went through and tracked metabolic health, and they found in the time-restricted eating group, they had a reduction in IGF-1, a reduction in testosterone, and a reduction in fat mass from baseline. So IGF-1, testosterone, and fat mass as well. And then the improvements. Go ahead, Courtney. So the... This diet resulted in significant reductions in body mass, fasting glucose and insulin, and inflammatory biomarkers while also leading to improvements in the lipid panel compared to the baseline and compared to the standard diet. So what's interesting about this is you can see like a direct relation if you just take this at the surface level that if you're fasting, you might not be putting on as much muscle but you're losing fat easier and all your metabolic biomarkers that you just listed, all the things that lead to having a healthy metabolism, living a long life, all those things we want, <laughs> all those go in the right direction. So we like it. We like it. Yeah. Testosterone goes down a little bit. Don't like that as much. But <laughs> Well, the interesting thing about that is 
near the end of the study, it says, while the absolute levels of testosterone didn't differ between the groups at any time point, the changes over time significantly differed. Mm-hmm. So the absolute levels didn't change, but changes over time did. Well, the thing is, is there's one like important distinction and that makes this a very difficult study is that they found people in the time restricted eating group had a 7% lowering in their calorie intake. This roughly equivalent equivalents to about 200 calories a day for these people or for this group. So basically being a calorie deficit of 200 calories, which kind of explains first off why they were losing weight and why the other group, the people following a nor- normal diet saw better increases in fat-free mass. So better increases in muscle and better increases in strength as well. Something I thought was kind of interesting about the study was the amount of calories at each meal. So the ones that did their, the standard diet had 25% of their calories at breakfast and 40% at lunch, which on the reverse side, the time-restricted eating had 40% of their calories at their breakfast, which ended up being 1 o'clock, and 25 at their 4 p.m. lunch. So they actually switched it around, mm-hmm. which I thought was pretty interesting. Just mm-hmm. differing what time of day that they're eating the most. Because normally, you hear that lunch is the biggest meal of the day. So I wonder if that had any effect on anything. Yeah. Well, it's hard to say with... Well, that's what's hard about a study like this and doing it over so long is a lot of these benefits that we're seeing and mass touched on this really well is a lot of these benefits can also come with calorie restriction. So if you have a slightly lower calorie intake, um, generally biomarkers improve. If you're eating right below like your maintenance level, that's usually what we see for longevity. But I mean, this does mean a couple things in the fact that, it shows that it's much easier to eat in that slight calorie deficit with a little bit of time restriction, mm-hmm. especially if you're training, you're getting good workouts in still and able to keep your energy at a good level using intermittent fasting. So this might be a good way to cut calories without actually having to try and cut calories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of takes some of the workout for you. But at the same time, it's really hard to see where the actual benefits come from mm-hmm. because is is the fact that they didn't gain as much muscle mass, is that because they were in that calorie deficit or is it because of the fasting? Mm-hmm. Um, would they have gained better muscle mass eating with that extra 200 calories each day? And But would that have sacrificed their metabolic health? Like We, <laughs> right. we don't know. But Win I, some, lose some. Yeah. So I do think we can take some stuff away from this. And I think it's important that if you're you're structuring your plan right now, Figuring out if your goal is to build muscle or figure out if your goal is more to lose weight and really dialing in and making sure that you're following a plan that first off feels good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I, I follow the intermittent fasting protocol, even though I'm bulking right now, but it does mean that I have to force myself to eat a little bit more in that eating window. I have to consciously push myself to eat more than I naturally would. You know, and I think, Fasting gets a really bad rap. You'll see videos, especially I've seen them all over TikTok. Oh, intermittent fasting is horrible. You're just, it's a fancy term for starving yourself. <laughs> that, that, that's that phrasing right there, I find absolutely hilarious. It, it's fasting is not, or I should say, intermittent fasting 
is not, it can be used for weight loss, but it's also for metabolic health. It's not just, I'm not doing this because I want to be skinny. I want to, I'm doing this because I want to have good biomarkers. Mm -hmm. It's more than just feeling good. (laughs) It's, it's, and another thing is, as long as you're tracking calories too, you don't necessarily have to be in a caloric deficit. What you mean, uh, doing uh, fasting? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean that's what exactly what I'm doing right now. Mm-hmm. My goal is to build muscle, but I just feel better by pushing that meal off. Mm-hmm. And really, one of the most significant things as far as actually building muscle is going to be protein making sure you're getting protein at adequate times throughout the day. Mm-hmm. So not just sitting down and eating 200 grams of protein, just at all in one meal. Yeah. That's gonna, <laughs> that might back you up a little yeah. bit, but, <laughs> but having two, three, four protein feedings throughout that eating window, they did see like that, uh, that's going to be a big part of actually continuing to put on muscle. Mm-hmm. So making sure that no matter what eating protocol you're following, time restricted eating, or non, making sure that if your goal is to build muscle, you're getting adequate calories, you're getting adequate protein, and your training's matching that. Because this is a there's all these different factors here. We, and again, like with research like this, we still don't know the hundred percent truth of what all this stuff does, but is at least pointing us in the direction that hey, you know what, we might be able to get some extra extra benefits from fasting but yeah and i think another good thing too to mention is that the study was done it specifically states in the beginning it was done on men mm-hmm. i think a good study to maybe you know start doing is do this on women as well there are a lot of more ethical restrictions with doing this on women especially regarding women if they're pregnant breastfeeding you know there's all those different factors in there but if you get women that are not any of those things (laughs) i think that would be good to study because you know men and women do have different hormones we can see based on the evidence that this is metabolically healthy and beneficial to men i would love to see the effects on women as well Mm -hmm. i think uh fastest way by dave asprey kind of touches on Mm -hmm. women and fasting pretty well like it actually gives you a good idea of like it's not completely taboo to women. Like just yeah. because you're a woman doesn't mean you can't fast or yeah. anything like that. But it also gives you some good game plans as far as incorporating that in there. And that would be like a whole podcast episode to talk about. Yeah. But it's just something to keep in keep in mind. I think if you are a woman and you want to experiment with fasting, find a guide. Like find somebody that <laughs> yeah. knows what they're talking about and can sit down and explain it to you, or read a book, watch a video, anything like that. Because the last thing you want to do is make yourself feel worse. <laughs> yeah. That's funny you mentioned that book because I started doing intermittent fasting after starting to read that book. And I yeah. did feel healthy. I felt really good while doing that. And then after I stopped, I reverted back to uh, eating my pasta at 6 a.m. <laughs> He's uh, disgusted with me right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Every time I still don't know how you do it. I just get hungry. I've noticed. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay, cool. So moving on from that, I'm excited for this article because one of my favorite, oh, yeah. one of my favorite talking points is vegetable oil. We go back to the second episode of your health class all the way back in season one. It's about vegetable oil because it needs to be talked about. It's more. so controversial for some reason. It's so controversial. Um, yeah, I mean, we can get into why it's controversial, <laughs> but all right, 
So this one is titled The Worst Ingredient for Your Immune System. And it's kind of cool because it talked about an article from CNBC or might have been even a newscast. But something from CNBC where they were breaking down how bad sugar was for your immune system. And then this one, it, it I mean, agreed with it. Like, sure, it's not great for yeah. your immune system. <laughs> not defending that. Let's make yeah. that clear really quick. But the fact that vegetable oil, that stuff's not good. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert, the worst ingredient for your immune system is the vegetable oils out there. Like, those are not good. Yeah, there's there's a reason why I feel inflamed after eating them. I mean, it's literally causing inflammation. Right. <laughs> one of the one of the quotes that really stood out was most of the linoleic acid. So this is a type of polyunsaturated fat or a type of fat that's really prevalent in vegetable oils. It's like one of the big thing that makes these up. It develops lipid hydroperoxides. And then these rapidly degenerate into oxidized linoleic acid metabolites. Says Dr. Chris Nob, an ophthalmologist and the founder and president of Cure AMD Foundation. Really, to break all that down, uh, develops lipid hydroperoxides, and then these rapidly degenerate into oxidized linoleic acid metabolites. That's a really fancy way of saying they go rancid. Not good for you. (laughs) They're not good for you. And they create free radicals. Yeah. You know, the things that lead to cancer, things that lead to uh, metabolic dysfunction because your metabolism, this is the stuff that your body is trying to get out. All those oxidants that you're eating, all these like high antioxidant foods, like, oh, antioxidants are so great for me. Got to get my pomegranate juice or whatever. Yeah. You're eating all these antioxidants to get these oxidants, cough, cough, these things, these oxidized linoleic acid metabolites out of your body. Mm -hmm. So one easy way to get these out of your body is just not putting them in your body. (laughs) You would think that'd be the simplest thing to do, right? But no, this is a controversial point for some reason. Yeah. Well, the, you mentioned <clears throat> cancer. I thought this was interesting. In the article, it says that animals typically develop cancer once the linoleic acid in their diet reaches 4 to 10% of their energy intake. Here's the thing. Most Americans get approximately 8% of their calories from seed oils. And another interesting thing I wanted to bring up was the amount of people that get cancer. Did you know in the U.S., one in two women and one in three men will develop cancer in their lifetime? Half of women and a third of men. But it's wild. It's like the rate of what we've been eating these foods, the rate that's increased has also been the rate that cancer has increased. Huh. <laughs> I don't think that's related. I mean, that, it, that couldn't be. <laughs> Causation doesn't equal, uh, what's that pothead term? Um, pothead term? <laughs> oh. All the potheads at my school used to say it. Uh, Correlation doesn't equal causation or whatever, whatever it was they were saying in middle school and they were all, I don't know, that's a tangent, but (laughs) (laughs) another one that was kind of interesting. Another quote that goes along that same line is data also indicate that COVID-19 mortality rates are heavily influenced by the amount of unsaturated fats you eat. Simply put, 
unsaturated fat intake is associated with increased mortality from COVID-19, while saturated fat intake lowers your risk of death. The authors noted that unsaturated fats cause injury and organ failure resembling COVID-19. Again, correlation doesn't equal causation, <laughs> but we're seeing a trend here. Yeah, you, you, there's a point where you can't ignore it anymore. And another point here is in 1909, so 100 years ago, Americans ate two grams a day of vegetable oil, mm-hmm. according to Nobe. But by 2010, 100 years later, this increased to 80 grams a day. Two versus 80. Yeah. You can't ignore this. What's insane is they actually did a fat biopsy back um, back in the early 1900s. And they found the percentage of unsaturated fat in our body fat then is just a fraction of what it is now. It's like 40 times higher now or something like that. I don't have the study off the top of my head, to be <laughs> honest. But it was just the numbers were just astronomically higher because we're getting so much more of these foods because if you look at the vegetable oils let's run through them really quick canola oil corn cottonseed oil as well as soy sunflower safflower and some other that can be in the category for instance uh, grapeseed that can be in there as well the thing is is these weren't foods that we have been eating for a long time mm-hmm. like you take olive oil have you ever just squeezed an olive? Because you can just squeeze an olive <laughs> and oil comes out. Or if you take an avocado, you can just squeeze an avocado. Like it, It's not really that hard to get the oil out of it because mm-hmm. it's so fatty. So it makes sense why olive oil, avocado oil, it's uh, not too much of a stretch to, yeah. <laughs> to think that those oils are pretty accessible. But then you look at cotton. Like, Could you imagine... Like if I handed you a soybean and I told you to get the oil out of this, <laughs> like I don't, I don't even know where to start to be honest. Yeah, like, I'd probably crush it <laughs> and then see nothing come out and give up. Yeah, I mean, but don't worry, American ingenuity got through that oh, barrier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, is these crops are so easy, to, easy to grow, and the processes that we have to get these oils out—they're not good for you. They include things like bleaching. They include things like high heat. And keep in mind, polyunsaturated fats are very delicate. They need to be treated with care, like actually have them in their original form. Because those two grams a day you were talking about back in the day, like that wasn't from these refined seed oils. Yeah. Like that was from real food. And when you get it from real food, it's not a problem. Like linoleic fat, like having a little bit of it in your food, it's not a problem. It's the amount we're getting and how it's used. Yeah, it's it, it's an essential fat. The problem is when we're getting too much of it. Mm-hmm. And because it's linoleic acid is in olive oil in small amounts. Yeah. So you it's an omega-6. Your body, you know, you need omega-6s and omega-3s. The problem is when your omega-3 to omega-6 ratio is 1 to 25 instead of 1 to 1 or even 1 to 4. It's supposed to be in one of those good ratios. We are just eating way too much of it. The omega-3s do not cancel it out. It's, this is not PEMDAS. This is not canceling out. Well, that's the thing is if you go and look at where we're getting our fats from, it's not from the vegetables. It's not from mm-hmm. uh, healthy meat, not from salmon. 
We're getting it from the processed food aisle. Mm-hmm. And just like the sugar, like that's where the problems are starting. Like that's not the food that we grew up eating or our ancestors grew up eating. Mm-hmm. I grew up eating it <laughs> all the time. <laughs> My proportions way out of whack. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not defending those. Yeah. I'm just saying it's the fact that this is not really what our bodies have adapted to. Not uh not that you need to eat cut these foods out entirely. But if that's the basis of your diet, yeah, that you got to look at where these fats are coming from, how much sugar you're having, because that's the other thing is, is sugar bad for you? Um, no. <laughs> like, yeah. Sugar is really going to be in all the vegetables you're eating, or not all of them, but sugar to be in vegetables. It's, it's going to be in fruit. It's not that the sugar is evil. It's the amount of sugar and how highly processed it is because mm-hmm. now your body can just absorb it extremely quickly <laughs> <laughs> just like these fats like this is not being used as energy properly and that's another cool thing that back from that podcast episode number two i'll link that down below but uh your body can't actually use these as energy properly so this is how you start feeling out of energy but you're eating tons of food Mm-hmm. Like it's such a, those two things shouldn't be happening at the same time. No energy, tons of food, gaining weight, eating in a calorie deficit. It's because at a certain point, these things start damaging your metabolism. It's no wonder that when I was eating more unhealthy and even just two years ago, I was sleeping all day. I was exhausted. And then I changed my diet. And guess what? I, I In the past six months, you know how many naps I've taken? Two. (laughs) I took two. So uh, it's clear that this is damaging us. Mm -hmm. And when you, this is the thing. Some people are unwilling to change, unwilling to change their eating habits. But just try eliminating this from your diet for a month. See how you feel. 100%. And the other thing is, is if there's a association this strong and we know that these things aren't good for us instead of promoting um, a certain jab in your arm so hard, what if we just promoted not eating these things? <laughs> wow. Hold on. No, whoa, whoa, whoa. Crazy, crazy concept. Or instead we promote a jab and, and reward then, you with donuts. Yeah. <laughs> promote uh give you literally a food full of sugar the first thing that even cnbc said not good for your immune system and then vegetable oils we're giving you something that's supposed to help your immunity to one thing but then we're completely crushing it another way it's like we're trying to help you with the with the shot and protect you against covid whatever and then we're giving you donuts (laughs) That are going to just help destroy your immune system. And so when you tell me this is all about health, I don't believe you. I'm sorry. You tell me it's about health and then you give me a donut for getting that. And not saying you can't have a donut. Like That is not my point here. Because this is all about moderation and just doing better. It's hypocritical. That's the yeah, point. That's the thing. <laughs> exactly. Hypocritical. Because <laughs> like, believe me. I love me some in and out some Chipotle. I love those things. Moderation is key in everything. But when you're eating these things every day, 
or even five times a week, four times a week, that's that's when it's a problem, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm tired of the hypocrisy. I mean, what if they just gave me a discount at the farmer's market or something <laughs> oh, like that? Oh, oh, I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> what a lined up for it. Just no, just kidding. <laughs> All right, guys, what do you think on these articles? Like these are crazy times. Just a little bit, but I mean, yeah, maybe. <laughs> at least you know this information now, like, because this is like the stuff you need to know to actually start doing better. Because if you know how bad sugar is, I mean, we all kind of knew how bad sugar is, but really knowing how bad these seed oils and these vegetable oils are, as far as inflammation, how they're affecting your not just metabolism but also your immune system, like that is. <laughs> That is information that is powerful to know. Yeah, and it's not fear-mongering. It's helping you make informed decisions. You make these decisions yourself. We are helping you to make them. You decide. You you are the one in charge of your own decisions. It's We want you to be informed about your decisions. Call me crazy, but <laughs> I, I care about you guys. <laughs> and... You know what? This is exactly how you lose fat. Because you cut the, trust me, you cut these out for a month, tell me you don't lose weight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's going to get you out of your comfort zone. That way we can uh, change our generation (laughs) because that's what we need right now. We need to get these things out of our diet. Don't get me started on this again. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you guys for tuning in. And Courtney, where can they find you? They can find me on Instagram at Courtney Lyman underscore, or more importantly, on TikTok, where you can find more information. I believe my username is the same. Yep. Courtney Lyman, L-Y-M-A-N underscore. It'll be linked in the description. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for coming on. And guys, this is important information. Like, this is some stuff. I'm trying to just share the things that I'm reading each week that help influence the way I'm thinking to keep moving forward in this crazy world. You know, give me some sense of certainty, some sense of uh, I have an idea of what's going on. I can make a game plan off Mm -hmm. of it. So if you like this, share it with one person. Let's get this information out there. We got to change this generation. This is enough. (laughs) (laughs) But in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.